The Parker Inheritance Chapter 16 Siobhan Washington March 29th, 1956 It wasn't surprising that Siobhan Washington became a librarian. She grew up surrounded by books, spending just as much time in her school libraries as she did on the tennis courts. When she reached high school, her father created an after-school tutoring program for the students at Perkins and put Siobhan in charge of it. Big Dub saw it was a way to keep his players' grades up, and Siobhan occupied after-school. She was destined for greatness, and no one, or rather, no boy, was going to stop that from happening. He had forbidden her from dating. Siobhan didn't like how overprotective her father was, but they did agree on one thing. She had no time for boys. Of course, the boys did not agree. She had just finished helping a student with his math homework one afternoon when her best friend, Ellie McElveen, nudged her. Here comes your boyfriend, she mumbled. Chip Douglas strolled toward them, a huge toothy grin on his face. With his blonde crew cut and clear blue eyes, he easily stood out from all the colored kids in the Perkins School Library. Siobhan wasn't sure what would have happened if he had been a regular white boy walking through their school, but he was Coach Douglas's son, and he seemed to have a pass to go wherever he wanted. Coach Douglas had been at the school since 1951, though it was only recently that her mother explained why he was the teacher there. A group in Somerton, South Carolina, had sued their school board in order to get better buses and facilities for the colored students, something equal to the white students. In an attempt to head off a similar fight, the Lambert School Board sprung for a new bus for the Perkins students and promised to hire better teachers in order to meet the separate but equal law. And just like that, Adam Douglas, an assistant football coach at Wallace High, became the Perkins High School athletic director. Everyone was upset at first, but Coach Douglas worked hard to build trust with the staff, especially her father. Coach Douglas went out of his way to get her father any support he needed, even finding the money to send the tennis team to a week-long camp in North Carolina a few years ago. He mostly stayed behind the scenes, preferring not to draw attention to himself. The same could not be said for his son. Hey, see Bon, Chip said once he reached the table. She sighed. That had been cute when she was a kid, but she had outgrown Chip's constant mispronunciation of her name. At least he didn't call her Little Dub anymore. That was much worse. He sat down across from her and nodded at the others. Afternoon, y'all. Reggie, a boy working on a math assignment, kept his head down and slid farther away from them, almost like he didn't hear Chip's greeting. Ellie reacted to Chip with a nod but didn't speak. What are you doing here? Siobhan asked. Your daddy's probably out back at the track if you're looking for him. Was just there, he said. Came here looking for you. Wanted to show you this. He unfolded a letter and placed it on the table. Siobhan read the first lines. You got into Georgetown? Yep, just found out today. He beamed at her. Even if she had wanted to hug him, she wouldn't have. Not because he was a white boy and she was a colored girl, and not because he was the teacher's son. Siobhan knew how Chip felt about her, and she didn't want to do anything to encourage him. He really was kind-hearted when he wasn't hitting on her, and smart, but she wasn't interested in him, not like that. Even if she was, there was no way a romance could happen between a black girl and a white boy. Some things just weren't allowed in Lambert, South Carolina. I'm really happy for you, she said. Not sure how we're gonna pay for it yet, 
Daddy and Mama have been saving up, which will help. I figure I'll get a summer job. Glenn's daddy thinks he can pull some strings and find me something at the pool that pays pretty decent. Siobhan noticed Ellie shifting in her seat. Glenn Allen and his brothers were one of the reasons Ellie didn't trust any white people in Lambert. They were especially mean to kids like Ellie and Siobhan, kids with the darkest of skin. Again, congratulations. Siobhan pushed the letter toward him. Now, I must get back to tutoring. Chip peeked at Ellie's homework. Geometry? Maybe I could help. Oh, no, thank you, Ellie said, pulling the paper toward her. She rose from her seat. Siobhan, I should go. Mama will be expecting me home soon. Siobhan walked Ellie, watched Ellie walk away. Chip, you can't keep running off my friends. Ellie needs all the help she can get if she's going to pass. I was just trying to help, Chip said. You made her nervous. I'm sorry. He looked around the library. Siobhan wondered if Chip could tell how on edge everyone was. Maybe we should step outside. Got a few minutes? He asked. I don't think that's a good idea, she replied. You shouldn't even be here now. If your friends from Wallace High... They ain't my friends, Chip said. I would come here if I could. You know I would. Siobhan believed him, but that didn't matter. The rules were the rules. Georgetown is in D.C., he continued, as he rubbed his hands along the edge of the table. His skin seemed so pale against the dark, knotty wood. That Negro University, Howard, is there as well. It's one of the best colored schools in the country. They even got a medical and law school. You sound like my daddy, she said. Her father had already plotted out Siobhan's life. First, she'd be a tennis star. Then she'd become a big-time doctor or lawyer. But Siobhan had other plans. She enjoyed playing tennis, but for her, it was just a sport, not a battle. And while she liked the idea of becoming a doctor, she started to consider other careers, like teaching. She enjoyed seeing the students in her tutoring sessions succeed. Anyway, I'm only a sophomore, she added. I've got plenty of time before I have to worry about college. I know, but still, if you went to Howard, you wouldn't be up there for, by yourself. I'd be nearby, and you'd be out of the South. Virginia is still in the South. Yeah, maybe, but I guarantee it's better than Lambert. I know you could... Chip stopped, talking, as one of the students approached. I need to sign out, the boy said, his eyes on Siobhan. Siobhan flipped open the attendance notebook. Around her, other students packed up their belongings. She was responsible for making sure all the athletes logged in and out. Each athlete was required to attend tutoring twice a week. Other students, like Ellie, came for extra help. Thanks for the advice, she said to Chip. Now really, you should go. I'm not leaving without one of your puzzle questions. A small line had formed at the table. Chip, I win, and I get to ask you anything I want. You win, you get to ask me anything. Both of their fathers loved making bets. This seemed to have rubbed off on Chip. Do we have a deal? Siobhan didn't have the time for this. Okay, if you're so good at math, this should be easy. Listen closely. As I was going to St. Ives, I passed a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were traveling to St. Ives? Chip furiously wrote on his palm as students began to sign out. A few glanced at Chip, but no one spoke to him. Siobhan didn't think he even noticed what was happening around him. He was too busy scribbling on his hand. Uh, can you say it again? He asked a few minutes after. She repeated the riddle twice just to make sure he heard it all. I got it, he finally said. He showed his hand to Siobhan. 2,801. Siobhan smiled. Sorry. I'm wrong? 
Chip started writing on his palm again. Wait, let me try. Too late, she said. Here's my question. Will you please stop bothering me during tutoring? Alta Massey, one of the football players that had just signed out, stifled a grin. Uh, to be fair, I only said you could ask me anything you want. I didn't say my answer had to be one you liked. Chip winked and stood from the table. See you around, Siobhan. Siobhan waited until everyone had left, then locked up the library. It was track season. She'd find her father in the back of the school with Coach Douglas. But she didn't want to run into Chip again. She decided to wait in her father's classroom. She had a big science exam in the few days. She figured she might as well get some studying done. Plus, she'd already finished her latest book of crossword puzzles. She walked to her locker to get chemist her chemistry textbook. A small note was stuck in the vent, probably something from Ellie. She unfolded the paper. Only one person was going to St. Ives. Will you meet me at the big oak tree in Vickers Park at five o'clock? Siobhan spun around. The hallway was empty. The handwriting was small and rushed. Definitely not Ellie's or anyone else she recognized. Had Chip figured out the answer? Maybe. But even then, would he have asked her to meet him in the park? Vickers was in the middle of Vista Heights, the oldest colored neighborhood of town. Chip was bold, but not that bold. Siobhan refolded the note, then glanced at the clock on the wall. If she ran, she could make it to the park with five minutes to spare. Chapter 17 Candace was halfway across the street when her mother came out of the house. Sorry, Candace yelled as she sped up. I lost track of time. It's okay. Her mother carried a bottle of red wine. Candace stopped at the edge of their driveway. You're going out? Brandon's mom invited me over for dinner. I wanted you and your father to have a little more time alone. She paused in front of her daughter. He's driving back home first thing in the morning. I thought he was staying until Monday afternoon. Work stuff again? No, I asked him to leave early. It's just, I'm not ready. She twisted the bottle in her hands. Your father loves you very, very much. He's far from perfect, but he's still about the best dad you could have asked for. She kissed Candace, then continued across the street. Candace entered the house to find her father sitting on the couch. Her laptop was open in front of him. Hey, Gandy. Figured I'd go ahead and set up your computer while you were gone. Candace sat down in the chair across from him and dropped her bag at her feet. What happened? He flashed the same silly clownish grin he always sported right after he and her mother had been fighting. It's nothing. I... Dad, I'm not a kid. You don't have to lie to protect me. He laughed. You'll always be my kid. Will you please tell me what happened? Were you two fighting again? No. Well, a little. He closed the laptop. It's hard for both of us. I'm blurring the lines too much. It's hard to be a good dad to you and an ex-husband to her at the same time. She told me she asked you to leave early. I was two seconds away from offering the same. He patted the couch, and Candace moved to sit beside him. Don't worry. Everything's okay, really. Mom said she wanted us to have some time alone. Alone time. She took a breath. Is there something you need to tell me? Another clown smiled. Just wanted to spend time with my baby girl before I left. Still no talk of Danielle. Not that she was surprised. I wish I'd gotten a chance to know Brandon a little better, he continued. I've heard you two are working up some type of summer project. That's why we were at the memorial. 
Her father popped his knuckles. Are you sure he's not interested in you? In my experience, Dad, boys sometimes show that they like girls in strange ways. When I was your age, boys showed interest in girls by ignoring them and treating them badly. That just doesn't make sense. Boys rarely do, I'm afraid. Candace pulled at the fraying threads of one of the couch cushions. She couldn't get what Milo had said about Brandon out of her bed. Brandon's not interested in me, she said. I don't think he likes girls, period. Oh? Her father's voice changed tone. Are you sure? She shrugged. She was a bit surprised she was even talking about this with him. She usually saved talks like this for her mom. Or at least, she used to. I don't know if he's gay or not, but some boys were teasing him about it yesterday. Kids are cruel. Adults too, for that matter, he said. Are they physically hurting him? She shook his head. They're just some stupid kids from the neighborhood who like to call him names. Candy, no one is stupid. Stupid was another word he didn't like. You'd change your mind if you met these boys. He squeezed her hand, then released it. One day people will look back and be amazed and horrified at the way gay people were treated, but that doesn't help Brandon today. If it gets worse, I'll tell Mom, I promise. Good. He rose from the couch. We should eat. I cooked pork chops and asparagus for dinner. It's getting cold. Candace followed her father into the kitchen. The food smelled delicious. Plus, she could still smell the bacon from early that mor earlier that morning. Her mom was right. Her dad was far from perfect, but he was still pretty great. Chapter 18 Candace stood on the front steps and watched as her father backed out the driveway. The sun sat just above the houses across the street. The sky was bright and hazy at the same time. Her dad waved one last time, then drove away. Pressure built behind her eyes, but Candace wiled it away. She kept having to remind everyone that she wasn't a baby. Now wasn't the time to prove the world was right by crying. Across the street, the Joneses' front door opened. Brandon stepped out, then jogged over to her. He held a piece of paper in his hand. Got a second? he asked. He was in his church clothes, shiny Oxfords, a button-down shirt without a single wrinkle, and black pants with a sharp crease. He even wore a black bow tie, crooked around the neck, his neck. How did you know I was out here? Your mom said that your dad was leaving this morning. Then he grinned. The good thing about getting up this early is that I can cross the street without getting jumped. Candace knew he was joking, but she was supposed to laugh. But her head and her heart were sitting in the passenger seat beside her father on the way back to Atlanta. Candace, are you... Maybe he saw something in her face, something that Candace didn't even know was there, because he paused. I can come back later if... I'm fine, she snapped. What's up? I think you should come to church with us. He handed her the paper. It was a printout from the video, the photo of the Washingtons all dressed up. Brandon pointed to the steps and door behind the Washingtons. I knew something in that photo looked familiar. I think they're standing in front of my old church building. The church moved to a new location a few years ago, before we moved here. Candace lowered the photo. You think someone at your church might remember them? Brandon nodded, a big grin on his face. Sure do. Some of the older members would have been around back then. It can't hurt to... The door opened behind them. Candace, why are you still... Oh, hello, Brandon. Her mother quickly pulled her robe tighter around herself. I didn't know you were out here. Do you want to come in? I can whip up a quick breakfast. Uh, no, ma'am, he said. I should be heading back. 
Candace handed the paper back to Brandon. I'll ask Mom and let you know, okay? Sure thing. Service starts at 10. Her mother held the door open for Candace and Brandon as for Candace as Brandon loped away. So, he's invited you to church? Candace nodded. Can I go? Of course. I hope you don't mind if I pass, though. Her mom had never put up any pre pretenses about being overly religious. Before the divorce, she went to church along with Candace and her dad, but she didn't sing in the choir or volunteer for, for the usher board, unlike her father. Her mom admitted once that she did not like enough people... Wait. That she did just enough so people wouldn't talk too badly about her. When her parents separated, her mom stopped attending, though. Candace still went with her father sometimes. Candace had plenty of time before church, so instead of getting dressed, she opened the Perkins yearbook. Last night, after studying the tennis photo, she had paged through the P's in the student sections, searching for James Parker. But it had been late, so she figured she'd try to look again, now that she'd figure, now that she'd had a good night's sleep. It took a few pages, but she finally realized that, of course, she wouldn't find James Parker in the student section of the yearbook. He couldn't be there. He was white, and Perkins was an all-black school. A few hours later, an usher led Candace and Brandon's family down the main aisle of Mount Carmel Baptist Church. Light flowed in from all the stained glass windows, making the room sunny and warm. A huge wooden cross hung on the wall behind the pulpit, right above the choir members. They wore traditional black robes with gold accents. She couldn't remember the last time her church choir had worn robes. The usher led them to a pew in the middle of the sanctuary. This is the best place to sit, Brandon whispered. Not too close, not too far. He tugged at his collar. Oh, and you look nice. Uh, thanks. Candace had dressed up a little, though not as fancy as she would have back home. She'd found a sundress at the bottom of her drawer and chose a pair of wedge sandals to match. Her father hated them, saying they looked too much like high heels, but Candace liked how they made her taller. She had even let her mom do her hair, turning her ponytail into curled tresses. Candace frowned as a few other families entered the church. That's Milo, she whispered. He goes to church here? His dad's a deacon. The usher guided Milo's family toward an empty pew, but his mother shook her head and pointed toward the front. The usher whispered something to her, then motioned with his hand about the amount of space. Milo's mother pointed again, then passed passed the usher and continued up the aisle. The family followed her and was able to squeeze into a pew all the way in the front. But it was crowded. Eventually, the man at the end of the row slipped out and took another seat. A few minutes later, the organ began. The church was having a special service in honor of Juneteenth. The choir started with an old hymn, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. They sang in the classic way first. Everyone in the congregation smiled and nodded, all nice and polite-like. Halfway through, the drums came in. Then came the bass guitar, and then the woman leading the song sped up, with the choir right behind her. Brandon's mother, sister, and half of the church stood up and started clapping. Candace stood as well, bobbing and singing along to the music. Even though Brandon remained in his seat, he swayed to the beat as well. Candace wondered if Shabon sang in the choir, or did her mother, and maybe her father was a deacon. The choir sang two more songs, each better than the one before. Candace hoped they would sing all day, but eventually they stopped and the pastor came to the pulpit. Candace braced herself. She figured this would be the boring part. The pastor started off talking about the importance of Juneteenth, equating the plight of black slaves to the Israelites in ancient Egypt. 
the pastor talked about hope, about faith, about staying on the right path, even when you can't see the promised land. Something tingled in Candace's body. She could feel it in her fingers and toes and heart. It was like the pastor had picked a sermon especially for her. Candace thought back to her grandmother's note on the back of the envelope. The path to the inheritance was there. She'd already solved the first clue. She knew she'd figured out the rest of the mystery. She just had to keep faith. Mom, we're going to talk to Deacon Draper, Brandon said once church service ended. We'll find you outside. Who's Deacon Draper? Candace asked, stepping out of the pew. He's one of the older members. Brandon pointed to the short, round man standing near the front of the church. He was dressed like he was stuck in the 70s with a three-piece chocolate brown suit and a wide yellow tie. He's really nice, Brandon said. But he also has breath like a dragon, so be forewarned. By the time they made it to the front of the church, a woman and her family were already talking with the deacon. Is there anyone else we can talk to about the Washingtons? Candace whispered. She nodded toward another older man. What about him? He looks important. Not Deacon Hawk. He's kind of slimy. Mom says he talks like he's trying to sell you something. The woman in the front of them didn't look like she'd stop talking anytime soon. How long did they have before Brandon's mother came searching for them? Candace spun around hoping to find a clock and saw Milo and his mother walking toward them. Brandon immediately stiffened. Hello. You must be Abigail Caldwell's granddaughter, Milo's mother said, extending her hand to Candace. I'm Millicent Stanford. My friends call me Millie. She motioned to her son. I believe you've already met Milo, yes? We've seen each other around the neighborhood, Candace said. She tried to keep her voice flat. She didn't want Milo's mother to think, thinking that she and her son were friends. I'm sorry that I haven't been able to drop by your house to properly introduce myself to you and your mother, she continued. Milo here keeps me quite busy. Boy Scouts and choir practice at the church, swimming lessons, basketball, you name it, he does it. Milo smiled. Candace crossed her arms. I noticed a large truck with Georgia license plates in your driveway the other day, Millie said. Did your mother have friends in town? Not that I'm trying to pry. We just had a few break-ins around the neighborhood and I wanted to make sure... It was my dad, Candace said. He came to visit. Oh, I was under the assumption that your parents were divorced, Miss Stanford said. Is everything okay with him and her? They're just fine. Candace plastered a big fake smile on her face, like her mother did when someone was being nosy about her marriage. But thank you for asking. The woman winked, like she didn't understand at all that Candace was seething on the inside. Just trying to be a good neighbor, she set her sights on Brandon. I was sad not to see you on Milo's team this summer. Are you playing in another league? Brandon shook his head. I wanted to take a break. That's too bad. The team is doing really well. We could use a few other good players. She looked around, then leaned closer to Brandon. And where's your friend Quincy? Uh, in Seattle for the summer with his grandparents, he said, his face to the ground. Oh, good. That's very good. She touched the gold cross hanging from her neck. It will probably serve the young man well to get out of the city for a while. Perhaps his grandparents can talk some sense into him. We'll be sure to keep him in our prayers. Brandon shrugged, his gaze still on his feet. Candace didn't know what was going on. She knew Brandon played basketball, but she didn't know. He used to play on a team, with Milo no less. And who was Quincy? Milo stood there, still grinning, which made her even more upset. He saw what was happening with Brandon, how uncomfortable he was, and he liked it. She didn't blame Brandon for trying so hard to avoid Milo. 
she would have done the same, which gave her an idea. Candace cleared her throat. <clears> throat> Milo, when are your games? It would be cool to come out and watch you play. Brandon shot Candace the look so harsh, she might as well have been literally stabbing him, him in the back. Trust me, she wanted to say. Uh, Saturday mornings at 10, Milo said. You're more than welcome to come, his mother added. She cupped her hands around her mouth like she was sharing a secret with Candace. I'll be honest, the competition around here is dreadful. We'll be off to camp next month where he'll be able to play against some boys who at least challenge him. Milo grinned even wider. What about practices? Candace asked. Are those open as well? Um, I suppose, his mother said. They practice three times a week. I'm sorry for asking so many questions, Candace added, a little twang to her voice, like her grandmother used to do when she wanted to sound especially Southern. It's just that Mom's been looking for activities with me to do this summer. You said Milo does swimming, too? At the Y? At the city pool, said uh, Mrs. Stanford said. Your mother is welcome to call me if she wants any su other suggestions. Brandon's mom has my number. I'll let my mom know, Candace said. Millie and Milo walked off to visit with Deacon Hawk. What was all that about? Brandon asked. Later, we're up. The woman ahead of them had finally finished talking with Deacon Draper. The Deacon grabbed Brandon's hand for a firm shake. What can I do for you, son? Whoa, Candace thought. His breath smelled like spicy sausage and onions. This is my friend Candace, Brandis said. Do you have a few minutes? We'd love to ask you a couple of questions about some past members of the church. Sure thing, but do you mind if we walk to my car? They nodded, then followed the deacon and down the hallway and out of the church. He nodded to a few people as he passed, but thankfully no one tried to stop him to talk. Have you ever heard of a man named Enoch Washington or his wife, Leanne? Brandon asked once they were out in the sunshine. Deacon Draper nodded. I knew Coach Dub. He was my position coach in football. Played linebacker for him for three years in high school. Candace walked up a little so she could be around Brandon. When did you graduate? 1957? 1950, he boasted. Went into the army right after Korea. Went into the army right after Korea. The deacon pulled his keys from his pocket and neared his car, a cream-colored Cadillac sedan. You mentioned 1957. Are you asking about the tennis game? I was back overseas when everything went down. It's a shame what happened to him. He was a good man, tough as a box of nails, but good, fair, competitive. Do you know anyone who was there that night? Candace asked, at the game. Afraid not. That was, what, 56 years ago? Most of us ain't here anymore. He jingled his keys. Though Lord willing, I plan to hang around for a lot longer. Candace smiled. His breath aside, she liked Deacon Draper. We were also hoping to find some information about his wife, Brandon said. We have this photo. He pulled the picture from his pocket and unfolded it. I think that is the old church building. Deacon Draper squinted as he brought the paper close to his face. Yep, that's the Washingtons. Coach Dub, Ms. Leanne, and Little Dub. That was her nickname. That was her nickname? Candace asked. Yeah, when she was a kid. He tapped his finger on the building behind the Washingtons. That's the old church, all right, just a couple of miles down the street. It was a good building. We just got too big for it. Are there any records about the Washingtons and the church? Brandon asked. Anything we could look at? The deacon shook his head. I don't think so. There might be something in storage, but I doubt it. Maybe other members of the congregation might remember something about them. 
He looked at the photo again. Where'd you get this from? Brandon and Candace shared a look. They shrugged at each other. From the Perkins Memorial Room, Brandon said. This was a photo in the video tribute to Co Coach Washington. Uh, I knew it looked familiar, Deacon Draper said. The church used to have a copy of that same photo. Do you still have it? Candace asked. Maybe there was a clue hidden on the back of the photo. Perhaps. We actually had a lot of photos. Had them all touched up and hung in the old sanctuary right after we converted it into a community center. He closed his eyes and looked up. Let's see. Gretha was still alive. Nathan, our great-grand, had just been born. He sighed. Maybe that was around... Somewhere around 2006, 2007? 2007. Maybe they'd find something on the photos related to the date on the letter and Siobhan's memorial website. We'd really love to see those pictures, Candace said. I don't think they're hanging there anymore, he said, but I suppose they could be in a closet or storage room somewhere. Deacon Draper, Brandon began, if you don't mind me asking, how did the church pay for the community center? His voice was all squeaky. Donations and offerings, he said. You know, Pastor Richburg, he didn't want to hold no chicken bugs or fish fries to raise money. He nodded as he braced himself against his car. Yeah, some of it's coming back to me. We were promised a huge donation that would totally cover the renovation if we could open the building by the beginning of 2007. Can't remember who gave the money. I think it was anonymous, but I know it was plenty big. Another anonymous donation, Candace thought. Another instance of James Parker working behind the scenes. Did you make the deadline? Brendan asked. Deacon Draper nodded. We had a scramble, but we made it. The city manager was able to pull some strings for us. Candace froze. You okay? Deacon Draper asked her. Look like you just saw a three-headed mule. It, it's just... She let out a long breath. Was Abigail Caldwell the city manager then? Sure was. Couldn't have gotten it done without her. She was my grandma, Candace said softly. I see, he mumbled. Well, just so you know, Miss Caldwell was remarkable, a true friend to this church and the black community, though we didn't realize it until her successor came along. I heard she moved back to Georgia. How's she doing? Candace touched her bracelet. She died two years ago. Oh, I hadn't heard that. He pushed himself off his car and strength straightened his stance. I'm sorry for your loss. Candace nodded. She'd heard that phrase a lot when her grandmother first passed away, but she never knew the right way to respond. Uh, can we go to the building today? Brandon asked. We'd really like to see if we could find those photos. I don't have the key, but it'll be open tomorrow. I'll see if I can get someone to find those photos. He looked back at Candace. It's the least I can do for Abigail Caldwell's granddaughter.